All right, friends, how's it going? Zig coming in on the top 10 on the show. We have Elizabeth McCullough of Alpha Cat back again with her new EP, Venus Smiles. Alpha Cat is a singer-songwriter, or Elizabeth is a singer-songwriter, and the project title is Alpha Cat. Um, we talked with Elizabeth a few months ago. If you go way far back in the podcast, you can hear our first episode when we get more into her history as a singer-songwriter and the multiple projects she worked in. Um, it's interesting, some of the smaller circles we run into, like... Uh, being from Ohio, uh, Chris Butler, the great Chris Butler and her share um, some studio history. Um, I guess that, that was probably a couple years ago. It's probably that's probably like a year ago, not a, not a few months ago. That's probably doesn't matter either way. Back in the, back in the catalog, Alpha Cat One episode with us. Um, anywho, Alpha Cat's here today, and we dive into her new EP. It's really cool. There's one live cut in it, which uh, after doing some research to talk to her the first time, I couldn't really come across too many live um, takes with uh, with Elizabeth. So this was really cool to see uh, see a live cut of it. It's also in the EP. It's on all streaming platforms. We're going to listen to the opening track called All In Your Head by Alpha Cat, Venus Miles EP.
On your head, Alpha Cat, Venus Smiles EP, available now on all streaming platforms. Before we get into our conversation, if you guys can like, rate, review, subscribe to one of the podcast platforms, it really helps me keep talking to cool guests and sharing their insights with you. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to get into my conversation with uh, Elizabeth. I am. I've been. I'm in my chair outside. Um, I literally just had a bee on my knee, <laughs> but I've, I've learned just let them be, which was not a meant pun, but, um, and they don't sting you. It's weird. It's weird that it's got its own, it's got the instructions in the name kind of, you know what I mean? Like as a kid, when you, a bee comes by, you're like, Gah! you freak out and then they freak out. <laughs> I mean, I never thought of that. That's a very good take on that. Yeah. So he, that's a, it's it's weird. Some things are always right in front of us. I don't know. But it's good to talk with you again. I hope everything's been well since the last time we spoke. Um, you know, up and down. Um life is not always easy, but um I'm still here. Amen to that. <laughs> Same. And I don't know that I remembered you were in Cleveland. Do you know my friend Chris Butler? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Chris is awesome. Um, I just saw him. He, the, the kind of expand on how great Chris is. He, um, I was I was working, so during like the kind of initial shutdown and everything, which is, I believe, before we spoke, um, or maybe right in 2020 when the last record came out, um, last Alpha Cat, um, he, uh, they, I started doing all these streams for the Beachland, um, a venue in Cleveland, and, um, he, one of the, uh, local colleges does, like, a sound program through that venue, so they take all the students there, and Chris is there one day, and we're running a stream, I'm like, oh, good to see you, I didn't know you know the band, he's like, no, I'm taking the class, <laughs> I'm like, what? 
You think? Yeah. Right. Like the guy has. So He's a Gemini. Yeah. He always wants to more information. He always wants to learn more. Yeah. It's, That's why it's so youthful. Right. Right. I just love how like how passionate he is that he's willing to take uh, a course after all that he's musically accomplished. He's quite like when it comes to a uh, um, recording and like stuff like that, learning that he's got a lot under his belt, you know, um, but, but, you know, it's like everybody has gaps, you know, right. and he's tr always trying to fill them in. Right. That's, I just, I love that guy. That guy's awesome. Oh, he went to London with me two years in a row yeah. and played empty rooms. He rehearsed with me until he left New York. Um, you know, he loved my music. He was a good friend. He is a good friend. Um, it was a, it was a loss for me when he moved away because I, you know, we would play together every week, mm. sometimes twice a week. Um, and where were you living when when you were rehearsing with Chris? I was in Manhattan. Oh, okay, okay, and he moved to. Akron, well, he and he was in Hoboken, so we oh, and he God. had a big loft studio there, and uh, so we would trade off. Like I'd go to Hoboken, and he'd come to me back and forth like that. Gotcha, gotcha. That's awesome. He's the best. Um, one thing I wanted to pick up where we left off with our last conversation was you were starting a, a record label, and I remember you were you were telling me about this poet you were working with. I wanted to ask how that's been going. Well, um, Jamal, who is known as Kid Anansi, uh, was part of a poetry series, uh, the first, I believe, of its kind of, um, in, in the UK, mm. and, in, and a big part of it having been made and a big part of the show and they won a BAFTA their first season they beat all these long-standing shows dancing with the stars wow. and then he and then he was asked to do Glastonbury yeah no, so he's and he's running poetry nights now and he's getting grants and and that's delayed the making of the record because he's so on fire already that it's like, I mean, I can help him make a record because he's never done that. Hmm. But, um, you know, I don't need to tell him how to perform on stage or how to write. Right, right. But now he doesn't need any help with that. Yeah, but now it's now it's. Uh, getting the trade back and forth. That's awesome. Very cool. So, I'm so happy to hear that. Nice. Yeah, so um, we're looking at hopefully something in the spring. Um, he'd like to do something live. And my experience with this record is that the live tracks don't really get played hmm. as much. And so we have to have a meeting about that because he's got one clear hit and um, I'm not sure that it 
should be done on the record live. Mm. That's interesting. As, it's interesting how live cuts don't get the same attention. You know what I mean? Well, if you're Led Zeppelin or The Who or Nirvana, you know, when there was MTV Unplugged. Right. That that stuff got played. But that's because they were them, you right. know. Right. And I guess like with Unplugged, that's kind of like a it's a specialty. It's almost the record cut in a way. It's the record cut of um, that acoustic like you know there there's a reason it's not just a live performance there's like a an already sold special thing about it and like well and you know kurt cobain and um aside that was such a brilliant brilliant show special right you know yeah i mean it you know i i don't think I don't know. Maybe some people who saw it weren't blown away, but I certainly was. And I immediately bought the record and I, I still listen to it sometimes. Same. It's, it's one of those, it's one of those performances where it's like the, uh, the, when you're in a room and you see some, someone perform, there's like, there's a certain feeling and essence and like, uh, experience you have whilst being there. And when you (laughs) watch like a video of it, it, it like becomes less potent like it becomes less you feel it less but there was something so potent about that performance that even the recordings resonated i think that like 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 you were at that experience like there's not maybe that's maybe that's the answer for why live concerts don't work the same way um or live cuts don't work the same way is because part of that magic's gone but I definitely that's one of the cream of the crop as far as like because that when you anytime you listen to that, that hits just as hard. Well, and the covers as much oh, yeah. as, you know, the man who sold the world. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Lead belly at the end. And like, man, how many like people dove into those guys, Bowie and Lead Belly and uh, the meat puppets after that. Right. <laughs> But that's what a good concert does. It makes you like into the person's influences and gets you into them and like trying to learn the bits. I know I have a lot of friends that started playing and started trying to sing after it was like the Beatles Ed Sullivan performance in a way. I think oh, really? another you know what I mean? Like I have a lot of friends that were so impacted by that record. You know? And I don't maybe the acoustic thing makes it seem a little more doable. I don't know. Um, but there's definitely a magic to that performance. Well, you, I, I do have a, a funny story because I was, you know, I'd been doing open mics and I'd done a yeah. studio demo with Richard Lloyd and, nice. you know, we kind of had a bit of a falling out and, um, he, I saw that he was playing an acoustic show down in the village. So I thought, well. I'd like to see what that's like. Yeah. And I went to it. And what I got from it was I can play the acoustic guitar better than Richard Lloyd. (laughs) So if he can do it, I can do it. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Was it going? So uh, Richard, he was supposed to be on this EP. Yeah. 
Oh no no! Oh, no. this is a while ago. Okay, okay. He he was on the he was he did my first studio demo, which mm. was ages ago. It was in the nineties, and um, and then um, one of those tracks made it onto Real Boy, the song Ground Rush. Mm, okay. Um, and uh, yeah, after that, no, we didn't work together after that. Gotcha. He's uh, from what I've heard from other uh, performers and like people who've taken lessons with him or kind of worked with him in different ways. It's real hit or miss. It seems like with uh, with working with him. <laughs> well, he's he's you know I I seem to attract crazy geniuses. And he falls under that category, as, as does Butler. And I think Butler would consider that a compliment. Right, right. A, as does Brett Thorngren. Um, you know, I don't think you can be a genius unless you're a little crazy. Definitely. Definitely. I think, uh, what's the... Uh, what's it, the not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily go both ways, but... Right, right. There's a there's a balance as if as, as there is to everything. I'm trying to remember the Kerouac co- uh, quote from On the Road um, about those who are mad. Um, but I, it's escaping my memory at the moment. But there's definitely a thing. Someone who's going to think profoundly is also going to uh, look at things different and handle situations different. And uh, it's the balance of the two that really you know I think hand is how. How, where that that genius gets to shine, like some of the most profound things can come from out of nowhere and come from someone who is not meaning to make them profound, but um, I guess it's or or it's being ready to hear it too. But anyway, that's so okay. So Richard showed you you can do it, <laughs> and the, I mean you know as electric guitar, I you know I. I can pick out a part, I can play, you know, if I'm in practice, I can play a part. I played the electric guitar on one of the songs on Pearl Harbor. Um, but it's not like I sit down and and uh, can just play licks on the guitar because as many times as I've learned to read music, I've forgotten how. and. I think that is really why I can write because I'm not in that head. I'm not in the mathematical head of knowing where every note is on the fretboard, you know? Right. right. Um, I just find things that sound like the feelings that I'm trying to convey um, and invent chords. Mm. You know, like, um, it was funny because Doug Pettibone, another brilliant guitar yeah. player, played on this record, you know, almost all the guitar on this record. Um, you know, I showed him, you know, my acoustic parts. Um, and he would be like, where did you learn that chord? And I was like, well, I made it up. And he's like, can I steal it? And I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you know, it's it's like, um, it's kind of like the idea of theory being just 
uh, like it's not fact, it's theory, right? So you're putting all these things together to express yourself. And when you find that thing that works, that's when people seem to do the math to figure out why it works. And, and but, uh, you know, that's not my job to do right, the math. Right. And like, nor it should be like, I guess any person who's trying to express themselves should just know how that should be the focus is on conveying and like being able to explain what you're conveying is like, I guess the post thought for someone to empathize with your musical approach. But like, I think that's a beautiful way to do it because like it should like knowing all that helps, but it also can hinder too. It can, you can be thinking too much about how to say something before you say it. And didn't uh, help me. <laughs> it hindered me, but you know, I also, I don't want to diss mathematicians either because they're being creative in their, in, in their, you know, right. Realm. Exactly. But that's not that, you know, that's not the way my mind works. Right. And that's, that's not what, that's not where my stuff comes from. It doesn't come from my head. Right. And that's what people are going to go to you for. They're not going to go for your chords. They're going to go for AlphaCat. They're going to go for what you have to say. Well, I mean, hopefully the chords support what I'm saying. But, um, and I, you know, and I try, you know, when I said I played acoustic guitar better than Richard Lloyd, he'll never hear this. (laughs) He would probably be offended. But, um, you know, it's because I make shit up and I, you know, and a lot of it is through ease. Like I've been starting to write music again and I was trying to play chords I hadn't played and and I had to figure out, you know, I didn't have to, but I did figure out simpler ways to play them that I liked better and made it easier to play. Yeah. And then the and then the improvisation in terms of the writing comes from there. Like, you know, okay, this one wants the note to hammer down, or this I want to pick like a bass line or whatever. But it, but it's all the process. It's not thought out. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah I got to yeah. write it down after you know. But I don't write it down in musical notes. I write. I make. Card, you know, chord bars, okay. and I draw the chords, and I say what fret they're on if they're not on the first three, and that's how I notate my songs. That's cool. I think like the the structure of like music school and music teaching can be so intimidating and discouraging that when it comes down, I feel I feel like that's the kind of drawback from it. Um, so it's learning in that sense where it's like you're learning you through music. Like, you know, what I mean, like you're writing down chords and learning how to convey this song and where this narrative needs to go. And it's like building the chords. You kind of give yourself the canvas to put the story on. Um, so it's like learning how you can do that for your song. And like, I think that's in the grand scheme of things, ever any like someone who can like tear apart jazz theory could probably tear apart the theory of a of an alpha cat song or a ramon song or or whatever because it's all still music well a ramon song (laughs) yeah i was throwing i was throwing like different you know 
different examples. Like there's a lot of chords going on, but they're moving to a progression. Um, and right. though they are bar chords for the most part, there's implied minors and majors, but that's only from thinking it big scale wise. They, wrote, I mean, I love the Ramones. Right. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but the their the music was not complete. You know, it was not complex. Right. No, like, but that was quite, kind of the beauty of it. That was the beauty of it. A hundred percent. They they paved the way for everyone learning themselves in a way, it, like in 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 a way, kind of what you're doing, like off of. And I think part of it is just seeing someone be able to do it. You know, like seeing that you can play guitar better than Richard Lloyd. I don't. You know what I mean? Like, or acoustic guitar. No. I'll be specific. I'll be specific. You know, not electric guitar. No yeah. way. Never. Well, yeah. That's... Not, not in this lifetime. <laughs> I don't, I, well, no one's going to play Richard as good as Richard. Um, but kind of diving into, like, so with the, the Venus Smiles EP, a lot of these songs are coming from, like, different, it feels like different, different kind of writing. Were they, like, kind of, are they aiming towards this new record or the bits from the last few? Well, two records came from this, those sessions. Yeah. Um, sorry, I just had to put on a sweater. Um, and the, you know, the overall theme was the Venus smile concept. When will Venus smile on me? Mm. But, and there were, and, you know, in the end, we recorded all the instrumentals for 15 songs before I lost my voice and couldn't finish. But in the end, I cut four or five of them because they just weren't good enough. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that they weren't played, you know, brilliantly by... Doug and Reggie and Jason and John Maddox, who played on a few of the tracks that unfortunately didn't make it on the record, not because they weren't played incredibly well, but because the songs just were stupid to me. <laughs> like <laughs> when I look back on them, I was like, what is this? Like, I'm not putting that out. Mm. Was it? Well, part of the process is that is weeding out what doesn't fit but to find out it doesn't fit you got to complete it you know so i I totally i understand that like well um, not well i mean it, the editing process is such a long process because you know you write all these lyrics and then you edit the hell out of those i can't remember if i can curse on this one you can curse um, <laughs> you edit the fuck out of them and then <laughs> And then you, you know, and then you have all these songs that you got to write music to or all these lyrics and then more fall away. Mm. And then mm. you write the music and then more fall away, you know. Right, right. And the recording, you know, this is actually the first series of recordings that that's roof and being a smile that i actually cut songs that were recorded mm. because even though i had been gigging out most of them um with like a third incarnation of alpha cat or second incarnation um 
or the LA incarnation or the London incarnation. Um, You know, when I just went back to listen and there weren't new vocals and I read the lyrics and I'm like, these are just stupid. Mm. I'm not I'm not going to bother with these like they don't need to be on it. I'd rather have a shorter record than put out crap. No, I get what you mean. I get what you it's I mean, that's a lot of incarnations of well, bouncing from town to town. I'd imagine that's the only way to handle that. Um I mean, you know, not it's not like I was always gigging in L.A. and London, but when I did gig in London, I would bring maybe one band member and maybe pick up someone Mm. um, in London that was recommended by the club owner of the long lost, dearly departed 12 bar club. Mm. Um, And then in L.A., I was lucky enough to get introduced to Jason Smith by Ann Klein, who's a brilliant guitarist in New York, who I had taken lessons from and learned to read music from to an extent. That was kind of my last attempt at that. But she was going to be in L.A. at the same time as me. And I said, do you know a drummer there? And she recommended Jason and he did the gig with us. And he just clicked. We just clicked. And he loved my stuff. And every time I went to L.A. to do a gig, I'm like, Jason, I need a band. And he'd get the players together. And I could always trust him. And we would rehearse once, maybe twice, and do the gig. Mm. And that's why I went to L.A. to make that record with Jason. Gotcha. Okay. So I mean, he's the one that brought in Doug and Reggie. Okay. Because I didn't know who they were. Right. But what like going through like these kind of uh, reincarnations of everything and like carry through like when you meet someone for the first time to kind of present um, Alpha Cat, present what you want to do, is it more? Because I imagine that's got to that's it's it's hard enough to get one group of people to be like I dig what you do, and you've done it multiple times. Like there's a definitely there has to be a skill set of conveying this to this new group. Like do you do you typically like present your material in a way that's like acoustic or already like a recorded version, so these guys um, are hip to it or not hip to it or like want to practice or don't want to practice. Basically, what I. I think what I did was I just gave them CDs and they dug the music and another double, not a pun, I guess, Doug and Doug, but, um, you know, I, I don't even know Doug and Reggie, like, I don't even know if Jason had played them the music, uh, beforehand. Um, I think they just trusted him but Doug in particular really, really vibed with it. And Reggie was a bit harder to get to know. He was a very quiet person and he recorded in the, you know, in the control room. And I didn't really have to tell him anything to do. I didn't really have to tell them, you know, aside from, I mean, as a producer, you know, I like this, maybe not that very little, very light touch because 
you know, that's the beauty of having people who do know how to right. read music right. and do know how they do know the fretboards that when they hear something and they vibe with it, you know, they write their own charts. I don't even know how to write a chart. You know, they write their charts. They they played the hell out of them. And, you know, like for Reggie, for example, I think um, I'm going back to Thatch Roof because I had just written Mona Lisa in a comic book. And I wanted it to have a Motown feel because that was kind of one of my first influences. Mm. Um, maybe because I was born in Detroit or maybe my mom's playing it, you know, when I was a child. Um, but, um, yeah, and, and I didn't know he played with Stevie Wonder. <laughs> I, I didn't, yeah. you know, I was told he played with Elton John, who at that point, you know, I wasn't particularly fond of. I was when I was a kid. He also played with Stevie Wonder. You know. Well, I didn't even want to say that he played with him. That's how right. disappointed I was. But then when I was trying to get in touch with him, because I wanted to be able to hashtag him, um, and I couldn't really find him except on Wikipedia, and I'm reading this discography, and it's, Stevie Wonder and Parliament uh, Funkadelic and I mean it's endless and I'm like holy shit <laughs> I had no idea he virtually he said virtually nothing yeah, I mean he yeah. said so little when he was in that room mm. there was absolutely and you know I found that because when I was photographing musicians I found that almost as a rule there are exceptions the best writers the best players are the most humble mm. i agree because i feel like if you were if you were of the par to play with those to play with stevie wonder i mean you're you're humbled quickly i believe if you come in with any ego but also, I think it takes a certain it takes a certain amount of self um, uh, belief and self like strength to to put yourself in a situation where you are going to be humbled. You well, know? I think I think you know if you're an artist like that and like Reggie, for example, and Stevie Wonder calls you up. I mean, yeah, probably probably he was like holy shit but you know he's an artist so reggie's an artist you know yeah. steve wonders inarguably a great artist but reggie is also a great artist and you know when you go in that room there's you you leave your ego at the door there's right. not there's no room for that mm. you know there's many tales of that not working when yeah. the ego comes in the door definitely definitely uh but that's a oh, that's so cool that's so did like after the fact did you bring it up to him at all like would no i have no way to contact him oh, because, gotcha. because uh jason lost you know he i guess he changed his number or something mm. and uh nobody that i know knows how to reach him mm. i think i might have dm'd him once 
I, I can't re- remember even if I did, but yeah. because I didn't have anything new to record, I, I, and I don't know if I DM the right person. Right, right. I mean, I think, I think I did, but like, why would he remember me? He played with Stevie Wonder. <laughs> well, alphabetically on the list of people he played with, Alpha Cat's going to come up a little bit about just alphabetically. <laughs> Well, I don't think Alpha <laughs> Cat is on his Wikipedia page, believe me. Um, but either way, that's like... Every time I hear uh, them, I like, hear I something DMing, new and learn something new about myself. Like, sometimes people don't see it for months later, or sometimes it gets lost in the things. Like, I've gotten replies from people, like people I know way later, because somehow sometimes those like platforms put it in like a spam thing, kind of. Or even with email, you you'll email someone and like, oh, sorry, this went in my spam. Um, so it's I don't know. You never know. Well, it's goes. it's weird, and you know that it, for for some reason, why is it the dick pic DMs that get through, and <laughs> yeah, then right? the people that are telling you they're playing their music on their show have to be approved? I don't I don't spend any time on social media except to post when I need to post. I mean, I. I used to post more about fun stuff, but it, you know, it's been a rough couple of years and I just haven't really had it in me. Um, so, you know, when I had an opportunity to put a playlist together of my favorite, some, it was like just a fraction of my favorite songs. Um, and talk about those and you know i put you know i was allowed to put this record in in them but it was a it was like a two-day process of of weeding out and then um you know song order and flow and boy did i gain a respect for djs (laughs) right And, and I am doing another thing in November where I get to talk about somebody else's record and not mine at all. And I'm really excited about that. Oh, that's cool. Um, but can it can, um, dive back into the Venus Smiles? What is the, what's that concept? It is Venus Smile. It is oh, Venus Smiles. Smile. I'm sorry, my Venus Smile. But the idea of Venus Smile what like because like going through the tracks like that in orbit i'm like this is a very from our last conversation like it seems right up your alley but what is the venus smile as far as that concept well i mean i think it's kind of laid out in the song um but you know if you think of venus and you know to be honest when i wrote it i was thinking of venus as just love Mm. But I'm also, as I think you recall, into astrology and mythology. And Venus is about more than love. Venus is about creativity. It's about joy and play and fun. And when I wrote that, I was kind of lonely. I went down to south beach and got a hotel room by myself with my you know laptop and my guitar and i wrote that song 
And I was thinking about, you know, when will being a smile on me, like kind of when will I be loved, you know, but, but then, you know, there was another interview that I had written one that I had to do that asked the same question. And I was sort of like, well, wait a minute, like, just that song coming out of me was a way of being a smiling on me because I hadn't written for a little while. And then I wrote this song that I really liked. That's beautiful. Because I remember the last time we spoke, we were, we were talking about um, online psychic readings and, and, and like diving into astrology and mythology. And that's like, even though the concept of Venus representing love, there's different cases where it represents different things. But that's, that's a really cool realization of self-love and finding this, coming up with this, this want for love. And then it turns out that it's within yourself. That's really, that's awesome. That's, that's profound. That's really cool. Well, it's also, and she's also about beauty. So you can all add in like trying to find your own beauty. Right. You know, because that's cool. You know, if you, if you, I'm not going to recite the cliche, which is true about self-love, but you know, I did not grow up considering myself beautiful Mm. and, you know, even when I was told that I was, I didn't believe it. And beauty is, comes in many forms and, you know, as you get on, you know, as you move through your life, you find that the exterior beauty is not the beauty that is the most significant beauty to have. If you have it or not, it doesn't really, it's the exterior, which is why I like diving into the mythology of Venus and all the other aspects of what Venus represents. Right, and and exterior is always temporary. If it's a house or a person, or uh whatever that's what gets that's what gets chiseled away first (laughs) like um that's um one like kind of on that that concept of like self-beauty it's so it's one of those things when someone when someone tells you it or or even if it's self-complimentary like or or a compliment of you let me put it that way if someone compliments a thing you do right if you're if it's photography if it's your music if it's your writing or your drawing or whatever, I don't. There's a. It seems like everyone has that inner voice where they're like, ah, they're being nice. You know, what I mean, you write it off a little bit, but as soon as someone critiques you, that sticks in there, and I don't. That's such an interesting counterbalance of the two. Like, well, I think uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, sorry. no, no. Well, I, I I think you know. The issue really isn't that what you create is thought of as beautiful because it's something you made. Mm. It's something that you channeled. Mm. Therefore, it is not from you. It is simply something that filtered through you. Mm. And if somebody compliments my work, I do take it in because it's not me. Mm. I'm just the filter. 
That yeah, that does that would make it a lot easier to accept. Like because it's also it is and just to be in that kind of creative headspace of seeing something as beautiful and or seeing something as inspirational is kind of like there's that outside thing informing you. That's cool. I mean, yeah, you yeah. know, and, it, and just the same, like, you know, the things that don't work probably are the things that did come from me or from my head and didn't work, you know? I mean, I, I can use a really great example from when I was painting in college um, and I had tried to paint a landscape and I was doing it from my head and I was drawing, I was drawing every leaf mm. and it looked like a cartoon. It was horrible. It was hideous. It was awful. And then one day I just went out, I went to school on top of a mountain in Tennessee and there was just this valley and this vista. And I, remembered what my art teacher had said to me like paint what you see not what you think you see mm. and I started blurring the leaves into each other and I have this beautiful painting you know it's the only landscape I did that I have that I love that is because I didn't do it from my head mm. it's getting out of your own way that's cool hmm. so um to kind of kind of backtrack you went to you went to college for painting or for arts well i went to i went i was a first i was a double psych and art major okay and um because, you know, my father was a very logical man. He was an engineer. And my mother was considered an artist. She was an artist. Mm. And I had always done art my whole life. And I did very well in school. But, um, and I was interested in human psychology, absolutely. But, you know, there was... There was a point where I had to take physiological psych and I had seen, I think the semester before the kids um, with their, they had taken their, there was like a, a, a half round driveway around the science building and there were these flat rocks around it. And they were out there dissecting dead cats. Oh. And I'm like, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to validate my intelligence with science. And I just dropped it. Yeah, I'd, I'd join you on that one. That one's, that's too much. Uh, but, but it was like, that's what it took for me to realize I didn't have to validate my intelligence with science. Right. Because I felt that I needed to. Hmm. And, and the standard for doing that is through school, like through schooling. And that's, that's a really interesting upbringing to have like kind of the both, like both sides of the brain as, as parent figures. Like that's really cool to kind of get the, I bet there's a lot of crossover in between the two 
that you've well, probably noticed more than maybe others who haven't grown up with kind of a representation of both. Well, ironically, they were brought up in a time when, ironically, and they were both Libras, mm. <laughs> their birthdays were three days apart. Libra is an artist. Um, my mother was a brilliant mathematician, and my father had the soul of a poet. But he had seen his father beaten down for trying to be a comedy, you know, a, a comedic writer. Um, and my mother had no self-esteem because she had a very traumatic upbringing and childhood. Mm. And um, so my father really should have been the artist and my mother should have been an architect but they weren't able to fight the stigma that a man that's an artist is not a man and a woman that's an you know a woman can't be an architect so they were sort of mirroring each other to each other and not in a way that they were admiring each other. I'll just put it that way. Gotcha. That's wow. That's super interesting. Like I guess you know, you kind of see uh, the best and worst in yourself through other people in a way. Um, I mean, everyone's a mirror for you. You know, everyone in your life, everybody you encounter is a mirror. You know, if you don't like something in them, it's something you don't like about yourself and vice versa. That's just reality mm -hmm. to me anyway. Um, the trick is in figuring that out and paying attention to it. Yeah, that's pro That's cool. That's cool. I've never thought of it like that. That's pretty profound. Awesome. Um, I guess I'm in a profound mood. <laughs> that, it's, I dig it. I dig it. Uh, this is why I was excited to talk to you again. This is a bit like last time, <laughs> as far as like the nuggets of, of uh, interesting thought. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up, uh, I guess talking on the kind of long skate back to the live track, it was really cool to have a live track on that EP, um, Venus Smile, because like I I don't think I've heard a live track from you before, and like hearing hearing you in a live setting was super cool because it's it's a it's a different slightly variation from like the studio session but your voice sounds really good live and like the band does it it's like a, a different attempt i don't i don't think i've heard a studio recording of of the i believe it's orbit of orbit no orbit was oh, never armor. Played. It's armor i'm thinking armor. yeah armor um, well that that was actually i actually put that out on my website for at the very beginning of the pandemic Okay. to benefit um oh, yeah, two mental right. health charities but um i think last people, time we talked that you were just yeah. about to do that okay and but then you know i had only four songs for the record and i was like my promoter was like well yes you can put out a four song ep but it didn't feel right to me and then you know at the time of the jacob blake situation and in, in kenosha i was extremely extremely distressed and freaked out and i ended up staying up all night teaching myself iMovie and making 
a video with that track underneath it mm. because you know the line now our armor gives us no protection took on a whole new meaning you know when you're watching yeah. when you're when you're looking at shots or watching video of u.s tanks running down peaceful protesters so that's why i put it on there yeah i mean the the fact that you know yes i can play live and sing live you know it was just me and angela babin on guitar and then butler played on on bass on uh wichita i believe it was mm. but other than that it was just the two of us but still, yeah, it was cool. I don't, I, I know, I enjoy because you get like, well, at least when I when I dive in to talk to someone, I I try to listen to everything that's available at the time and try to dive back and see if there's things hit, not hidden, but put somewhere else. And so it was just really cool. It was really cool to hear hear that side of you. Um, with a with that fundraiser, is that still going? Well, it's still up. Yeah, nobody's okay. nobody's buying it. You well, know, every every penny, you know, it's not like this bullshit. We'll we'll, we'll pay 10 percent of the net profits to breast cancer awareness up to ten thousand dollars or, you know, I like 100 percent of what was, uh, you know, the purchases that were made on that on that you know set of recordings went to those charities i didn't save i didn't keep a penny yeah which is badass you put it all in that's you know well it would have been if it had actually you know generated some help for these charities i mean i donate to them on my own but you know i thought like this is something i can do that maybe i can give more than i physically you know that i'm financially capable of giving and give other people a chance because, you know, having had mental health, you know, instances of difficulty in my life, um, I saw from the very beginning of the pandemic that the shit was going down. Yeah. And that's yeah. why I did it pretty much right after that. But people were like, oh, it's free. It must not be any good. And that was kind of the, I think, the general overview of it. And there were, there were even comments about that on some of the social media. Like, well, if it's free, like, it must not, you know. And, and I also had put my record, you know, I had just put out Thatch Roof. And yeah, so there's like a. There's already a lot of like stuff. Well, that you push, I, I guess. there was, you know, what I had done when I put up what at the beginning of the pandemic and I knew people were going to not have money and not have jobs. I put it up for like, you know, 10 cents a track or something. And again, the the general purview was suspicion. And if it's this cheap, it must not not be any good, you know. It's only if you charge a lot of money for stuff that people actually think it has value, which is a sad commentary on this country. Right. It is. It is weird. It is weird that um, that that's where oh this is a rare thing and it's you know it's unique. That's why it cost this much. And then you know fill in the blank book, movie, 
record. And then when you get it, you're like, well, you know, they didn't really mic, mic the saxophone good on this rare Coltrane record, you know, or whatever the case is. Like, the value is almost what people say it has. It's kind of like diving into that whole NFT craziness of, yeah. you're right? <laughs> but I still think that's badass that you did that, and I think it's worth plugging again. Um, Thank you. No, and, and like, but you're always doing badass stuff, so... I appreciate you taking time to, to chat with me today, and it was good catching up. Yeah, always, always a pleasure. And, Anytime. Uh, any, uh, any other plugs before we wrap up today? As far as like, uh, um, shows or, or other videos coming out. Um, I'm working on a video for Wichita. I'm not sure when that's gonna happen because the the animator, mm. uh that I've been working with has been having some health issues. So I'm, you know, it's like his health is more important than getting the video out. So I'm not pushing that. Um, it'll come out when it comes out. And if we can get a video for all in your head, that'll come out when it comes out. Um, Cool. You know, I, I don't have a whole lot of YouTube subscribers, but I'll just put it up as a premiere and see if anybody watches it. Well, is it not, part of it's just it's just to keep doing it, I feel, especially the more the more I, I don't know. Eventually, it seems like as far as like because I don't I don't get how YouTube works either. If I'm being honest, like it's got its own mechanism. But like it seems like like speaking from like my band, putting my band out there it, like on youtube it's like you put something you, it takes a long time to put a video out there you know there's a lot of work that goes into it there before even like putting a visual to it and then putting the visual to it it takes a lot and it seems like the it seems like it's just like to keep plucking away and keep putting stuff on it that slowly seems to grow it um i mean you know we'll see i yeah, mean yeah. right now what i'm what i'm more focused on is writing completely completely new songs and um i think these are going to be quite different yeah from what i've done before they seem the lyrics so far seem to be much more directly personal hmm. and less metaphorical has that, it'll be interesting to see if they work right has that felt different when you're done? Like when you, or like or at least I'm, you're not done, but like when you get a chunk that is that directly personal, does it feel a little bit more liberating or better to write it kind of clear cut than it does metaphorically? I mean, you know, like for, I'll just give you one example. Um, there's a guy that, you know, I, met in LA who kind of, you know, destroyed me. And um, I wrote a song kind of about my experience with him. And I think the last line is something like, fuck you, I got two records from you. Um, I don't know if that's gonna, you know, if that's gonna make the cut. It was a little fun to write it down well to type, <laughs> to type it yeah yeah but you know i don't know if they're gonna work musically i haven't right. really done that for a while so um and i've just started writing music 
to one of the songs. So we'll see. We'll nice. see. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited to hear. And uh, that's it's definitely an interesting process to like to put it out there and listen back, you know. And that's a that's a cool way to to do it in a sense where you're unmetaphorically like do it. You know, I don't know. I, I'm and I I bet it's gonna be. It sound to me that sounds like it would be really a relief putting it out there. But I mean, I'm sure metaphors are gonna slip through. Sure, I, sure, I, sure. There, there are definitely metaphors in them, but. <laughs> But you know, it it's far less, you know, coded right. than some of the other things were. But maybe I won't learn as much from them as I did from the ones that were in, encoded, because every time I hear them, I hear something new and learn something oh, new yeah. about myself. There's that too. Either awesome, way who. So, uh...